0: Listening Dog Media.
1: This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
0: The Offside
2: Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan, and a
0: Liverpool fan.
1: Hello and a very warm welcome to the Offside Rule, we get it, it's episode 16, ladies, Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen joining myself, Kate Borsay, in the bottom of a club, not a football club, but a swanky club,
3: a
2: members club, a members
3: club that I'm the only one of the three of us not a member of.
1: It's not that posh though, right? No, it's, it's more QPR than sort of Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Poor QPR fans hating you now. Uh, if you hear a hand dryer go off, we're sat just by the loo. Uh, so uh, forgive us if you hear any uh, spritzing of water and blowing of hands. Yeah. Now on the podcast today, um, well actually we're going to be chatting... A lot about Premier League sides and about the managers who um, are pretty steadfast in our game. The ones that have been around for ages and ages. And when we're talking Premier League, first of all, nine or ten games left to go for most of the teams. We're obviously in an international break at the moment or heading into it. Uh, So we're going to look at where the teams are. And as you witnessed, Lindsay, at the weekend, and I know you'll talk more about this, tempers are fraying, fractures are starting to slow and then also this is the incredible time of the season where sometimes teams put together this mythical, mystical run of consecutive wins, allowing them just enough to stay against the odds in the Premier League so it's a great time of the season to have a little look at where we are. We've got Sue Smith coming up as well with her her WSL roundup. She's looking at the FA Cup. Some huge scorelines, Lindsay. I'll tell you what, there were scoring goals for fun in every sense of the
3: word. The Arsenal-Spurs scoreline. I know that we've got an Arsenal-Spurs clash coming up in
1: men's football. I don't think it'll be 10-0 like it was for the women. Now, she tells me she wasn't at the party to celebrate this, Hayley, but Big Mick celebrated 25 years in management at the weekend. Mick McCarthy, Lindsay's favourite manager. if he had a party
2: to celebrate that kind of thing, you would have gone, surely. It's just, it's not that you weren't there. It's that
1: she wasn't invited. No. 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 You
2: weren't. What? Shh, (laughs)
1: don't tell her. But he double kisses me every time. Cheek, cheek. Well, if he would had a party, then we can safely say that you would have been there. So I want to look at other managers who've been in the game a quarter of a century or longer. Give me a couple of highs and a couple of lows from their career, please. Um, And then handbags, managerial handbags. I had to laugh when uh, Pep Guardiola Uh, called the draw against Liverpool one of the most special days of his life, a real highlight for him, um, to which Jurgen Klopp sort of laughed out loud and said, well, he's Spanish, they're much more emotional than Germans. So perhaps an overreaction there from Pep Guardiola. You've won the Champions League and you said it's one of the best days of your life, Mm. but that's just the draw against Liverpool. (laughs) I mean, what? Seriously? So Jürgen Klopp there commenting on the Manchester City manager. So I want to know what managers have said about each other over the years, whether it's handbags or whether it's lashings of praise. What does one manager or has one manager said about the other in the past? Let's get cracking, though, first of all, by talking Premier League.
2: The offside rule, we get it. The female take on football.
1: Okay, so with most teams, nine or ten games away from finishing this Premier League season. Let's have a little look at the teams that are interesting us at the moment. There are perhaps cracks appearing. Perhaps this is the time uh, when teams are most fragile. And on the opposite side of that, I'm sure that some teams are going to enjoy a pretty spectacular run-in. Lindsay, we mentioned earlier what you witnessed at the weekend. Tell us a bit about it and a bit about the team. Well, things are starting
3: to spill over. And you can tell that emotions are getting to the forefront now because we're at that point of the season. I was at the Stoke, uh, Stoke-Chelsea Stoke game. and So Chelsea, at that point over the weekend, went 13 points clear. They're now 10 points clear as we record this podcast this week um, of any of their rivals. It's looking like they're honing in on that title. But the celebrations at full-time at Stoke, partly because that game was so interesting as a theatre spectacle as well. Diego Costa made it really... All like a pantomime villain, yeah. and it and it was such an interesting watch. I can't say that it was the best game of football I've
1: ever seen, but it was, certainly was really entertaining in many ways. Do you think Costas building up his post-game uh, career here, being this kind of, because it's, it's getting a bit, is, well, it's actually getting a bit boring for me. It's kind of he's almost playing on it too much, isn't he? I have to say, I wasn't bored at the weekend,
3: and <laughs> partly the reason for that is because I think Stoke took that game to him. Mm, yeah. I think they, of all teams in the Premier League, were the ones that were like, we're not going to let you get away with this. But actually, he got the better of them. He did get the better of them.
2: I, did, I covered that game as well, actually, live on Saturday. And, and was, I was like, there's no way the second half... He's going to finish up with eleven players for either side. Costa's going to be off for sure, or he's going to be taken off by his manager. Mm. But he was really well behaved. Do you think that's down to Antonio Conte though, making sure that his players are a bit more disciplined, and he's he's managing Costa differently? I I actually
3: think Costa's that clever because you you look at it, he's never had a red card. Mm in the Premier League. Mm. So he knows just where to push it up to. And there was one incident in particular where I thought he's really, really pushing this referee. You look, It looks like he went up and gesticulated towards him and was really in his face, but he sort of walked past him as he did it. And I just thought, oh, you know, it's all these little fine margins. And what it did do was ruffle the feathers of the Stoke defenders. And then what I witnessed in the tunnel, which was right by me, was Antonio Conte, um, who's such such a charismatic manager anyway, but he's also so flamboyant on the touchline. And he was just fist pump I know that he celebrates but at Stoke City he it was as if he was celebrating winning the league it's as if that's the result that he thought had done it Mm. um I know that he's he's been like this before but it just felt like an extra level and that was in front of all the Stoke players who were desperately disappointed because that that winner came late on in the game and Ryan Shawcross as Antonio Conte uh, came down the tunnel Mm. had a pop at him in front of me um and they had a bit of foul word, shall we say, Um, and Shawcross was actually taken away to the dressing room and to calm down and he really was wound up Mm. and I I think he was wound up probably by Costa all match then seeing the celebrations and probably what you're saying thinking that Conte was behind some sort of instruction to Costa to be the way that he was I don't know but um, I I, I do think that it's all starting to spill over and I I don't know whether it will have a lasting effect on Stoke City now because that was a game that they must have been really fired up for they were playing the league leaders but where do they go from here really what we're just about to look at is the teams that actually have got something to play for and I would argue that Stoke City apart from like a highest finish that they've ever had
2: what else have they got going Hayley I think Manchester United are going to finish in the top four I really think they are I've got really good feeling about things from the football that I'm seeing them playing you might laugh at me but that's fine but I also think that Everton are going to finish above Arsenal and I think it's actually going to be down between Manchester United and Everton battling for that fourth spot I think City are right up there you've obviously got Liverpool and Chelsea but I think that fourth place and as it stands at the moment you obviously have Liverpool right up there Um, yes Tottenham are up there as well I'm trying to forget about that. there's just too many teams battling at the top at the moment I know obviously we have Chelsea the champions elect but Everton they've only lost one of the last 12 Premier League games they're on the best run at Goodison Park for years I think they're just making it a real fortress I think when you look at the fixtures that they have to play as well um, of all the teams up there I can see them picking up points huge game for them they've obviously got the Merseyside diary that's going to be brilliant at Anfield then they take on Manchester United I mean that is a huge game for two teams who are obviously playing for the, for the same thing Um And then they have four home games towards the end of the season, which I think will play into their hands. Um, Yes, they take on Leicester, Burnley, West Ham. Chelsea, the season's already wrapped up. Swansea will already been safe towards the end of the season. Watford, they've not really got anything to play for. And maybe Arsenal on the last day of the season. I mean, how amazing would it be if Arsenal and Everton, who go head-to-head, were both battling for a Champions League place? Well, I have included Everton in this
3: race for the top Mm. four. Um, So I would agree with you on that. But I've looked at all the fixtures that are coming up for every team that I consider to be in that race. And the four teams that I think are now in competition for that place Mm. are Liverpool, Arsenal, Man United, and Everton. So what I'm saying is that I think Spurs and Man City are going to finish top four. I'm not including Mm. them in it. So for that fourth place, I have done some calculations. So I've looked at... The matches that these teams have got coming up how many are at home how many I think they feasibly will win and get three points at a draw and this is what I've come up with I've got the Everton I think will get 17 points from their remaining games and they'll finish on 67 points I've got Arsenal who by the way I do think are going to underperform compared to Everton however they have two more games because they've got two games in hand Um, And they've got Sanchez with an ankle injury at the moment, so however long he's out for is going to be crucial to how they do. I've got them just getting 18 points, and that includes a few games at the Emirates, like we say, finishing on 68 points. I've got Arsenal finishing one point above Everton. When's the last time that's happened? So that leaves it as a shootout between Manchester United and Liverpool. I've looked at it. I think Manchester United are going to get more points. I think they're going to get 18 points compared to Liverpool getting 17 but that still sees Liverpool get fourth place, and um, they've just got that gap advantage at the moment. I think they're going to finish on seventy-three, and I think Man United will finish on seventy points. Well, I've
1: picked out a couple of teams who interest me, and they are actually involved with a tussle at the bottom, um, or certainly looking at blips in form. Watford, they looked to be home and dry at one point, but. They could yet still be dragged into the relegation battle. Now, this depends, I suppose, on at least one of Middlesbrough, Hull or Sunderland mounting a really good, strong final run. But certainly Watford aren't out of it. Uh, Recent run, only one point from four matches hasn't helped uh, Walter Mazzari's cause there. And what's also true about Watford, and he must be feeling the heat, Mazari, and this is what, where we look at chinks and we look at breaking points, little little cracks that may have been nothing during the season that are starting to become more fractious. Um, but the key point here is if he lasts beyond the summer, he would be the first Watford manager to complete a year in charge since Zola departed in 2013. Um, He must have one eye on that. Watford are very happy to change their manager. Mm -hmm. He's got to do the business. He's got to keep that club safe at a time when he personally has got to be feeling the pressure. But another little talking point from the weekend that kind of illustrates what we're talking about here is that the spat between Middlesbrough's Rudy Stead and United's Eric Bailey, it, it continued beyond the final whistle. Of course, they, they were pretty much at it for most of the game, but a bit of pushing and shoving going on there. I mean, what was interesting to me was that Mourinho was asked about it in the post-match and basically left. <laughs> basically said nothing and left. Uh, the uh, interim manager for Middlesbrough, Steve Agnew, uh, was a bit more forthcoming, but really... Um, didn't say too much about it. And then there was sort of a, a suggestion from someone that um, Gestad had bitten Bailey, mm. which is quite an extreme thing to, to sort of come up, isn't it?
2: It was like a vampire-style bite, wasn't it? But, like, you can't... But it wasn't a bite. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it just, <laughs> kind of looked, just to clarify. Just looked like it, <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Jeff Stelling, and you're listening to The Offside Rule. Three women talking about football... I'm used to listening to four old women talking about football on Saturday afternoons, so I definitely prefer this.
1: Now, if you like goals scored, you'll have loved the Women's FA Cup at the weekend. Here's Sue Smith to tell you all about it.
2: Sue Smith's WSL Roundup.
0: Hi, everyone. I'm back with my weekly roundup. This time, it's the FA Cup fifth round games. There were lots of goals, starting with Chelsea, who faced Doncaster Bells. Chelsea started with a couple of their new signings, Crystal Dunn and Ramona Backman. They both showed what qualities they have and what they're going to bring to Chelsea and the WSL. After speaking to some of the Doncaster players, they said that Backman absolutely run the show. She scored one, but was a constant threat. And she, they said that the movement of the forward players was just so difficult to handle. The game actually finished 7-0, a real statement of intent from Chelsea. Next to Arsenal, who put on a performance that Tottenham will want to forget, Danielle van der Dong hat-trick, Dan Carter scored two, Beth Mead scored on her debut, Kim Little, Kate McCabe and Janssen finished off the ten to put Arsenal into the quarter-finals of the FA Cup. A real dominant display, again showing off some of their new signings. Heather O'Reilly and Kim Little both started the game. Both players, again, showed their quality throughout. Man City played Reading in their game, This was a much closer encounter. The game ended 1-0 with a Lucy Bronze goal late on in the game. City are determined this year to win the FA Cup after last year's heartbreak of going out in in their semi-finals. City also showing off some of their new signings. World Player of the Year Carly Lloyd and Mel Lawley both started the game. But it was Bronze who actually took the headlines. If I was going to be super critical of City, it would be that they've got to be more clinical in front of goal. But I'm sure this is going to develop as the, the season goes on. The other results were the Midside Derby finished 2-1 after extra time. Liverpool winning that one. Birmingham beat West Brom 2-0. Yeovil were beaten by previous FA Cup finalists Notts County 3-2. Bristol beat Millwall 5-0. And last but not least, Sunderland beat Villa 3-2. The draw for the quarterfinals was done on Monday. couple of tasty ties. It'll be interesting to see the outcome of Liverpool v Notts County. And just to see if Chelsea can continue their goal scoring form at home to Sunderland. That's all from me. Bye for now.
1: Thanks very much to Sue. Now on to uh, managers celebrating. 25 years or more in their profession. It's the silver anniversary for the Silver Fox, Linz. Mick McCarthy, this uh, topic is dedicated to pretty much to the day at the weekend, actually. Uh, he celebrated uh, a quarter of a century in management. He made his first steps into his managerial career with Millwall. So let's each pick a manager or two who's been in the game for a quarter of a century or more and pick out a couple of career highs and a couple of career lows. Well, one man who's
2: been managing, which feels like since before we were all born... Um, is Luis Felipe Scolari? He's still going strong. He's yeah. coming up for seventy, and apparently, when he was fifty-nine, he said, "I'm only going to do another couple of years of uh, management, and that's just for the money and the experience." <laughs> um, he went to Chelsea, didn't he? Didn't really last very long at uh, Chelsea. That's didn't... what you discuss sports news? Isn't it? Yeah, money <laughs> and the experience. It's, it's. I get paid so much, <laughs> so much. Uh, yeah, that is definitely, definitely not true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he was in charge of uh, Chelsea. Um, he had a 4-0 win against Portsmouth in his first game. Uh, big win over Middlesbrough, 5-0 at the Riverside. One of the highlights of his Chelsea career before he was sacked after a really terrible defeat against uh, Liverpool less than a year later. But guess where his first game was? as Chelsea manager. Well, it was a friendly match against Chinese side Guangzhou Pharmaceutical. He obviously Mm. realised... At the time, back then in 2008-09 season, how big the Chinese leagues were going to be because that's the team that he's currently managing. That's right. So after Chelsea, he went to Bunyot I have no idea (laughs) where they are. Uh, Potentially Turkey, although I could be lying. Palmeiras, he spent two seasons there. And then he went back to the Brazilian national team. Obviously, he won the World Cup there in 2002 and Confederations Cup as well. He obviously won the Euros as a Portugal manager. So extremely successful. Went to Gremio. That went about as badly as his time at uh, Chelsea, really. Didn't last very long. Uh, But guess what he's done in the Chinese Super League? Uh, Well, he signed a two and a half year contract. He's still there. After four months in charge, the club were... They weren't struggling, but they were, they were doing a bit of an arsenal. They were a bit kind of up and down, uh, but he was never in trouble as a manager. And uh, they won the Chinese Super League in 2015 and they've been uh, trying to successfully defend it uh, thereafter. So there you go. That's just a little note as to where Luis Felipe Scolari is in his career right now. We thought he'd retired and he'd be living on a beach in Brazil, but no, he's in China. Big
1: Phil. Right, Linz, quick one from you. I've
3: gone for a man. I don't know whether my maths is right on this one, actually. Oh. <laughs> so I feel like this is a mathematics podcast for me this week. Um, I've gone for a man who I think this season is a good pick because he's had lots of praise for the job that he's doing at Cardiff City. So I'm going for Neil Warnock, and I think it's 36 years, you know, because I've gone back. I'm going from 1981. I'm I'm Mm, taking it that the the five seasons he spent at Burton Albion.
1: He he definitely qualifies.
3: Well, he's definitely over 25 years. I'm just saying, is it 36? I think it might be 36. Um, But 1981, um, he spent five seasons at Burton Albion. Um, The teams that he's managed since Burton Albion, Scarborough, Notts County, Torquay United, Huddersfield, Plymouth Argyle, Oldham Athletic, Bury, Sheffield United, his boyhood club, Palace, QPR, Leeds, Palace, QPR, Rotherham, Cardiff. (sighs) Right. I'm going to pick out two tenures that I think were highs that also I suppose they have a low at the end of them. So I'm going to pick out Notts County as his time at Notts County because um, he actually led Notts County from third to first division in successive seasons. So he was brilliant with them. I don't know whether many people remember this, but he was actually sacked from there, uh, from Notts County the season before the Premier League came in because they got relegated. So actually Notts County could have been in the Mm -hmm. Premier League when that was introduced and they just got relegated. And that's when he was sacked. So a potential low point there for Kate Borsay. He's given me eyeballs as if to say, hurry up. (laughs) She's laughing, but it's true. Um, And then I'm going to talk about his boyhood club, Sheffield United. 1999 was when he joined them. Um, he led them to um, semifinals of the League Cup and the FA Cup in 2003. He got promotion to the Premier League in 2006. And you have to say that must be probably among his absolute highs of his career. If it's your boyhood club, it must be. Um, but his low may come when he actually felt I always get the impression forced to resign, but he resigned after the club were relegated in 2007. So all those achievements, but as we see in management so often, it doesn't matter what you do. Ranieri has a massive example. Mm -hmm. Um, Often you're forced out at some point because we're in a results business and it doesn't matter who you are. You can't keep on winning and keep on having
1: success season after
3: season. Um, Although Arsene Wenger might disagree. (laughs)
1: All right, well, I've got a quick one here. Uh, We may not get on to our second ones. We'll see how we go for time. Um, Gary Johnson, just pick out Gary Johnson. um, He's been in the game 31 years in management for Gary Johnson. Uh, hi. Well, you'll remember, or you may not remember, but you may uh, have heard the the folklore of Cambridge United in the early 90s um, with successive back-to-back promotions. In fact, he helped John Beck. Uh, He was the reserve team manager at the time, but very much part of the setup at Cambridge um, that that meant that the club came to within two matches of being... Only the second club in history to rise from the old fourth division to the top flight in successive seasons. A high for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, His other high, when he was at Yeovil the first time, um, he got the team promoted to the Football League fairly early on in his managerial career, so I can imagine that must have been particularly sweet. Um, A low, well, when he was at Bristol City in 07-08, there was the surprise package of that season, and that must have been a high. They achieved above expectation. He kept the side in the top two of that league for a long time, um, but they lost the playoff final to Hull City, where he made his players stay on the pitch after the game to remember what it felt like to lose something obviously Phil Brown's done since so a low point there for him another low um, always one or two disastrous clubs aren't there for these long-serving managers uh, for Johnson it was Peterborough United um, uh, he couldn't get on with a chairman he was at the club uh, in 2010 but only lasted for nine months I'm going with Martin O'Neill Republic of Ireland again quite
3: topical I've decided to let the current affairs dictate my choices this week I um, now, I'm not going to go back on it, on his whole career. We know he's, he's done over 25 years. I think it was like Grantham Town and I think Shepshed Charterhouse or something he started. Um, I'm actually, I'm looking at his career and there's some standout moments for Martin O'Neill. Um, you look at Villa and that's a high, Leicester City, Celtic. But I'm not going to go with any of those. The quick mention I'm going to do is for his time at Wickham Wanderers. Um, that was 1992-93 that he took Wickham into the Football League for the first time. But it didn't stop there. And this is where I think that Martin O'Neill got a lot of admirers. Because 93-94, he followed that up by taking Wickham to second, a second successive promotion via Division III playoffs. Um, he also won an FA Trophy with them. And to date, he is still Wickham's most successful manager in
1: their history.
2: Wow. The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a
1: Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan, and a Liverpool fan. The Offside Rule is sponsored by betonbrazil.com. It's the betting site for all sports punters with great odds, markets, and offers. Well, listeners to this podcast can now get up to £60 deposit match when you use the promo code OFFSIDE that's O-F-F-S-I-D-E. Just visit betonbrazil.com and enter promo code OFFSIDE when you deposit, and we'll match your deposit of up to 60 quid. Also, Look out for our daily happy hour offers between 5 and 6 p.m. Sign up now at betonbrazil.com. Betonbrazil.com is for over 18s only. Betting should be fun, so please gamble responsibly. Okay, on to our final topic. It's funny the things that managers say about each other. A lot of the time they're advised by their press officers that this is a red flag area. Don't say anything about your counterpart unless it's something vaguely worth of praise. So, in other words, be nice about the manager. If they've been serving for a long time, you can talk about their dedication to the game, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We can probably all roll out the stock phrases that happen in these press conferences. But I want some interesting juice, please. Managers on other managers. What have they said? When has it come to blows? And when has it been a huge love-in? I'm going to get things kicked off here with uh, the ultimate in rivalries at the moment. We all know about this one, but... It, it, We can't talk about this topic without mentioning uh, the fact that uh, Mourinho and Wenger, they love each other, don't they? Uh, (laughs) So much so. Uh, Remember the shove, yes, back in uh, 2014, the famous shove between the pair. Uh, And also, of course, Mourinho loves dishing it out against Wenger. Called him a specialist in failure. We all remember that one. Um, But pretty harsh when you consider how sterile sometimes uh, what managers say about each other these days and what goes on in press conferences. That was a pretty damning thing to say.
3: I think there's someone that Mourinho right now in the Premier League could end up hating more than Wenger, and I think that's Antonio Conte. They've already had a little exchange, and I can just see him being the sort of manager that gets right
1: under Mourinho's nose. Do you know Benitez and Sam Allardyce just didn't get on, Rafa Rafa Benitez and Big Sam? Uh, This was back in the day when uh, Benitez was uh, manager of Liverpool, uh, Sam Allardyce at Bolton, and they were famous, of course, for that very physical brand of football. What did Benitez say about Big Sam? He said, "Um, well, first of all, it sounds very good. He said, I think he's a model for all the managers around the world. I'm sure he's a model. His style of football, his behaviour, everything. He's the perfect model for all the kids. Their style of football, talking about Bolton, I think Barcelona are copying the style oh no sarcasm there then Rafa right I've got Pep and Mourinho and this was before they were rivals of the
2: the Manchester sides Um, and it was ahead of a big El Clasico okay Um, of Guardiola on the Champions League success Um, this is Jose Mourinho saying well in his first season he uh, lived the scandals of Stamford Bridge last year he played against a 10 man Inter now he's not happy with the refs getting it right if the referee is good good everyone We'll be happy, except Guardiola, he wants them to get it wrong. This is coming from a man who constantly complains mm-hmm. about referees and decisions not going his way. Uh, then Guardiola took a bit of a moral high ground, responding to the comments, saying, well, if Barcelona wants someone who competes with Mourinho and is complaining wise, then they should look for another manager. But we as a person and institution just don't want that.
3: I'm just going to say Roy Keane and everybody, but seeming as we mentioned Mick McCarthy earlier in his 25 years, I suppose we should make a nod towards the yeah. Roy Keane and Mick McCarthy debacle. He does love Martin O'Neill though. He, well, he seems to, although we don't know what happens behind closed yeah, doors. Uh, I'm going to go away from topic a little bit and just say manager and players for a second. I could, I could.
1: Lindsay? Listen, we, Haley and I could have we, we really could have done so much with managers and players, but it was just manager on manager. I just found a gem, <laughs> and I love this
3: man, um, Heleno Herrera was in charge at Inter. Now, I always think that I've found the stories about the harshest managers mm-hmm. out there. We've, we've heard about people that have been sent home from training and they've had to walk miles and all the different things that people have done over the years. And this is why I'm bringing it up, because also from just knowing Haley and the, the stories that we've heard about Fergie mm-hmm. b- between us, we always thought, oh, he was the taskmaster. Uh, he was the one that really had the hairdryer treatment. He's the one that was horrible to be under. But Helene Herrera. <laughs> he's a man of my own heart i can just hear this happening if i was if i was him um herrera once suspended a player for saying in an interview we he was talking about inter came to play in rome and he suspended him because he said he should have said we came to win in rome
1: Crikey, he's a bit... that's a
3: winning mentality isn't it and a half
1: he's a bit harsh isn't he uh well known that Sam Allardyce, again, I'm going to bring him into it, and Fergie, love a bit of each other, don't they? Uh, Allardyce uh, said you can't underestimate what it means to have the best football manager in the world on the other end of the telephone when you need him. What a ringing endorsement then. Uh, that was when he was West Ham manager.
2: As we're not really going to be talking Arsenal, Larsen Wenger leaving the side, what about when he came to the league and uh, Sir Alex Ferguson already having a bit of uh, gripe with him back then? Um, He'd come and joined Arsenal from Nagoya, Grampus 8, in 1996. Who knew? Um, and a feud started all the way back then. And uh, Sir Alex Ferguson said of Arsene Wenger back in the mid-90s, he's a novice and should keep his opinions to Japanese football. Ooh. So they'd obviously already had a bit of a argy-bargy before they
1: even became the, the mega-longest-serving managers in the Premier League. Here's a love-in for you, a French love-in. What else? Who else, apart from the most romantic uh, people in the world, Uh, uh, to have a big embrace, uh, a big bisou? uh, That would be two French managers, uh, Julier and Wenger. They still love each other, as far as I know, but the love affair began back in 1984 when Wenger was in charge of uh, Nancy and Hulier was in charge of Lens. Uh, They've been lifelong friends, in fact, so much so uh, that Hulier has said this about Wenger. Here's the quote. He's been a friend... Part of my universe, part of my life. I'm sure Wenger needs a friend like Juliet at this time in his career. We're going to wrap it up there, folks. Thanks very much for tuning in. Uh, Don't forget, at Offside Rule is our Twitter account. Do check that out. And give us a vote too at the Brit Podcast Awards. Uh, If you jump onto our Twitter, you will see a pinned tweet uh, on how to get your vote in for the Offside Rule. We want the people's vote, basically, so do it. Please.
2: You can vote on many different computers and mobile devices and whatever else you have. Just get the votes coming in, even if you have to do it 10, 20 times. Just don't tell us if
1: you do that, will you?
3: (laughs) It's the Listener's Choice Award. And um, by the way, can I just say, you have to type into the box the Offside Rule for us to come up, but then you'll see the picture and hopefully recognise us.
1: It's worth it just to see the picture, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, So, yes, please, we'd like your votes on that. Uh, Our Facebook page, The Offside Rule, and, of course, our website, offsiderulepodcast.com, the fount of all things football, Uh, some great interviews and a new teammates piece up on there as well. Uh, Take care. Bye for now.
2: The female take on football.
1: Sports Social
2: Podcast Network.